This is Baby Boomer Tales. I need to do a little disclaimer before we start this episode. Parents, you may want to listen to this before you allow your children to listen to it. I know I always try to do a PG type of episode, but this one probably is not that. So just use your better judgment there, if you would please. I'd appreciate it. When I was about 17, I started becoming very interested in pot, people smoking pot. It fascinated me. I had one run-in with pot. Since I lived in a small town, I never ever saw it, just read about it and heard about it. But four guys picked me up hitchhiking, and they were smoking it, and they offered me some, and I told them that I was going back to my home in order to play football when school started in about a week. And I had tried to assure them that when I was all done with high school, I definitely would smoke pot. Well, about six weeks after I graduated from high school, a friend of mine and I took off hitchhiking to the south. We were headed to New Orleans to try to make our way to Norway. And as we were passing through Dallas, Texas, we stopped for a couple days. And my friend had a brother that lived there, and he got some pot off of him. And what old John said was, now we've got to go down to the 7-Eleven and get some Cokes or beers and something to munch on because we're going to have the munchies afterwards. I had no idea what he's talking about, but okay, let's go. So while we were in line to buy our stuff there at 7-Eleven, this guy came up to us and tried to evangelize us with the promise that Jesus Christ commit us right then and there. Of course, I said the prayer real fast just to get rid of him. But my friend John argued with him, got upset with him, cried with him, told him he just didn't think he was good enough and all that stuff. And I kept pushing him saying, John, dump this guy. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go smoke some pot. Finally, we left the 7-Eleven and we went and we got high. And I thought that was great stuff. I really did. I'm not sure how high I got the first time. But it started me on a road of smoking pot that I was just having a good old time. Every chance I got, I thought I'd be smoking pot. Later, I started smoking hash. Then I graduated into doing peyote and magic mushrooms while all the time smoking pot also. That was a great recreational activity for me, I did believe. And then one day, a friend of mine introduced me to LSD. And we dropped some acid and... I experienced a trip not quite like peyote or mushrooms, that's a fact. And I fell in love with LSD, I really did. I started doing it all the time. I hitchhiked to California with a friend, and while we were walking up the beach south of LA, little beach called Laguna Beach, an old guy dressed in robes, had long hair and a long beard. He really looked like something out of the Lord of the Rings or something walked up to us and sold us a brand new product, he said. It's called Orange Sunshine. And we took it, and I swear, that was the first truly hallucinogenic trip I ever took. You'd look at a flower, and it just sprung up 50 feet tall, turn all neon and fluorescent and flashing, and it was amazing. I had to watch it. I was laughing so hard, I fell face first into the sand. I almost suffocated There were three of us on that trip, and my buddy Bill that I hitchhiked to L.A. with didn't have such a good experience as I did. In fact, he was quite freaked out. 
which I couldn't understand at all. So I started trying to find a babysitter for him. People would be walking up the beach, and I explained to him what was going on. Uh, yeah, we got this stuff called sunshine, and I'm too tripped out to watch my friend, and he's having a bad trip, and could you take him for a few hours? All that stuff. Ended up in a mission up on the hill there overlooking the ocean, and the Padre came around, and I did the same number with him. It was kind of a California dreaming moment for me. Well, finally, we did find somebody to help Bill out, and this other guy and I tripped out for several hours, went back to the house we had stayed in the night before when we were all done, gathered Bill up and took off, went back to Denver where I was living at the time, and I just kept doing hallucinogens like nobody's business. I really thought that I would do them all my life, but that wasn't quite enough for me. I did have a little friend named Little John. When I say a little friend, he is slight of build and not very tall. He was my buddy, and I hitchhiked several places with him. But he was one of these guys, you'd be sitting there at night, and he'd say, I'll give you 20 bucks to take three of these black magic acids. You're on, 20 bucks? I take them, have a good time, trip out, think all is right. Well, I was looking for more and more experiences in the hallucinogenic field, and a friend of mine introduced me to a over-the-counter product that had belladonna in it. If you took enough of it, it would trip you right out. The first time I did it, I remember in my apartment, there was a leprechaun eating a piece of chicken standing in the corner. And I'd go and try to touch him, and he'd growl at me and kind of hold his chicken back. The next time I did it, looking for the leprechaun again, and no leprechaun there. So I went outside, and at a telephone pole, there's a big, tall black man dressed real nice real dapper and like a peach colored suit with a fedora hat on and he hid behind the telephone pole the guy had to be seven or eight feet tall so tall so i ran over to the pole and i looked behind and he wasn't there and i'd walk around the pole and no guy i'd walk away from it i turn around and there he was again and we'd do the same little thing it was all product of my imagination both the tall man and the leprechaun. Well, the third time I did it, I got my old buddy Dan with me and explained to him the joys of this stuff that we couldn't even get busted for because we buy it at the drugstore. So I talked him into taking it with me. Well, about the time we took it, we met a couple girls and they took us over to their house and said, uh, let's go out doing something, dancing or something. I have no clue. I can't remember. But so as we were sitting in their living room, the door to their bedroom was closed, and I was starting to kind of experience some little hallucinations. And all of a sudden, looking at their door, and the bottom of the door all of a sudden creeped up about six inches, and I could see under their door. And then I saw a pair of men's loafers, black loafers, and I could hear some voices. And it was a couple guys telling the girls that they were going to go out there and kill Dan and I. So I kind of shook Dan. He had kind of fallen asleep there while we were waiting for the girls and told him what was going on. And he told me I was just tripping out. And I said, no, no. And all of a sudden, the door swung open. Here these guys. And I took off. I bailed out their window into the alley. And I started crawling through the alley, dodging under cars and stuff. I know I heard a couple shots as I bailed out that window. I finally made it to a convenience store. 
up on Colfax Avenue in Denver. I called the cops and I told them that they had shot my friend. All of a sudden, I was sitting in the back of a cop car and we were racing to the girl's apartment. There's about three cop cars and me. And we pull up and there's my friend Dan standing outside with the two girls wondering where in the heck I was. Cops looked at me and I said, I swear, I swear they killed him. Right at that time, they got a call about a murder up the road a ways. The cop threw me out of the car and said, you guys and your drugs while real crime's going on. And they took off. Well, needless to say, the girls didn't want to have anything to do with me and I don't blame them one little bit. Females always influenced me, for good or for bad. It always seemed that somehow, somewhere, in everything I did and everything I thought, a female was somehow involved. Either I was trying to impress a female, or I was trying to run away from a female, or I was trying to be real good. So the female population, and myself, really had kind of a jaded history all through my teenage years leading up until finally I got myself married. But there's this one female during this time in my life where I was trying to find new and greater ways to get high that introduced me to speed. I'm not talking about diet pills or any of that stuff. She's a real cute gal and of course I was trying to impress her like an idiot. Next thing I know we're shooting up speed. Shooting up means you put a tourniquet type thing around your arm, you make a couple fists, try to make a vein stick out. And just like at the doctor's office when they take a little blood, you're injecting some methamphetamine into your, into your body. And that was quite a rush. It was not hallucinogenic though, and I thought it was pretty cool, and I really liked her. Now one disclaimer, every time I ever took a girl home, my mother would always welcome her with open arms, wanted to get to know her and all that. Well, I brought this girl home up to the mountains from Denver, and my mom met her, and she wouldn't let us in. My mother knew. My mother knew something was amiss there, somehow, some way. The only time I ever remember her rejecting a friend of mine like that. So we went back to Denver, and I continued to shoot speed, and all of a sudden I had forsaken pot and acid and hash and all my fun toys at just doing speed. Months later, my parents were driving around the area where I lived there in Denver because they hadn't heard from me or anything. And they drove by this skinny, unwashed guy standing there on the street corner. I remember looking at him as they drove by didn't even register in my brain that it was my family. I remember looking at them. They stopped the car and backed up. My mom and dad both got out of the car. They put me in the car and took me home. Now my normal weight in my senior year of high school was about 150 almost. This is a couple years later and I probably weighed 120. I was strung out like nobody's business. I was just standing there trying to find some more speed. I had been trying to look for some heroin, but I was running in the wrong circles, apparently, to get that. Thank God I missed that. My folks took me home, cleaned me up, fed me, showed me they loved me. About three or four days later, I was probably going through withdrawals, but I pulled out this old rug that we'd gotten at the old ranch house. 
it was an antique. It was a just a you know two foot by three foot rug that we used for Christmas. Had a picture of the wise men and a big star. And I said I was taking that with me. And my mom said, "You lose everything you ever take. Leave it here, please." Well, somehow we started a little tug of war about it, and through the scuffle, somehow I hit my mother. I must have hit her hard. My dad got my brother John to throw me out of the house. I was probably going crazy. All I remember is that part. And then rolling down the hill. I believe there's probably some snow on the hill, but it was not winter yet. Crying my eyes out, totally out of control, without the rug. Well, I walked over to my grandparents' house, and they put me up for the night. Then I went on to Denver. I found this girl I knew, and her and I went to Boston to try to get away from all that stuff because I couldn't do it while I was there. I got a job in Boston, got a place to live. I was happy. I was just back to smoking pot and stuff. Very, very happy. Kind of had gone through all the withdrawals and all the paranoia that came with that speed. Well, one night... I thought I'd celebrate by dropping a little acid. My girlfriend had gone to bed. I was all alone. And while I was high, all of a sudden the ceilings began to melt. And it had turned into Gumby. Remember Gumby, the little cartoon guy? And it was suffocating me. And I started to freak out a little. So I went and woke my girlfriend up. I was trying to tell her what was going on. She said it'd be okay. She wanted to go back to sleep. Next thing I know, my hands were around her throat, shaking her, saying, I need help, I need help. She freaked out, and it freaked me out. I told her to go get this guy named Larry that lived down the hallway. She went and got him, and I told him that I was dangerous, and if anything happens, just kill me. But Larry sat with me all night until I came down from my little bad trip. The only bad trip I ever had on acid and the last time I ever took that stuff. Well, I had to get out of Boston. I embarrassed myself at our apartment house because I woke the whole place up, screaming and yelling and throwing stuff. Larry was very good to me. Thank God, nothing bad happened. We went to Oakland, so I thought maybe I needed to go somewhere warm. Then I flew to Phoenix. To make a long story short, I ended up back in Colorado, at my parents' house, and I proceeded to try to get my life back together. I kept trying to relapse. I couldn't even think of Gumby without it coming on me so strongly. I remember walking down the street, hitting myself in the face with my closed fist over and over, saying, straighten up, get this right, you can do it, you can't go back there. Finally, I told my mom, I think I need to talk to somebody. So she sent me down to our family pastor, and I explained to him what was going on. And I do believe I was crying. Now, sometimes you hear me on these podcasts, an emotional thing, maybe cry a little. But I've always been very much in control and don't go off the hook, just crying. But I had no self-control back then at all. And I told him that I thought the devil was holding me by one arm and God was holding me by the other arm. And they were 
pulling, trying to take control of me, both of them. And it was ripping me in two. And I needed help. Well, the pastor, and I don't blame him, he'd probably never run across anything like this in his life. My hometown back in those days was pretty darn innocent. And then there was me. So he told me a little story about how he's tempted when he sees a girl at the post office in a tight sweater. I looked at him, and I couldn't believe he was telling me this story. And I think I cussed him a little, and I walked out. Well, I did start begging God to help me, and I still kept hitting myself, and I still couldn't even approach Gumby. And this terrible, awful darkness tried to come upon me all the time. Well, they say time heals all wounds. And as years rolled by, I gradually got a little better. But I always still feared a relapse. And I never ever had a relapse. But I was bound with fear over having one. That that experience that night in Boston was too much for me to ever want to go back to again. Well, as years rolled by, I did start smoking pot. I think I continued to smoke pot after I got back to Colorado and I wasn't doing acid, and I wasn't doing speed, and I wasn't doing belladonna. I was just smoking a little dope once in a while, drink a beer once in a while, and I was healing pretty nice. But five years later, I still had that fear. I really did. Well, I met my wife, got married, met God, and quit smoking pot. I was definitely on the road to recovery. And then one night I was at a meeting. It was called Full Gospel Businessmen's. And the guy that was speaking, all of a sudden he said something to the effect that he used to hang around 7-Elevens down Dallas, Texas, try to evangelize the world from 7-Eleven. I looked at him, and immediately I realized that that's that guy I had met with my friend John right before we went and smoked pot for the first time all those many years ago. Well, I told him about it after the meeting. He kind of smiled and, I don't know, it meant the world to me. Well, I have no more threat of relapses. Those are so far in my rearview mirror, I don't even remember what they were like. I use this experience to tell youth groups about the dangers of drugs years ago. I have not shared this story in over 20 years, and I've never shared this story very much at all. So I'm not telling you not to smoke pot or any of that stuff. I know people that own pot stores. I mean, they're trying to make a living, and it's legal, I guess, most every place now. I just know that it wasn't good for me, that it did lead to a road that had no light at all. And I was very, very fortunate by the grace of God to come out the other side. Always be kind. You never know someone's situation. <laughs>